It takes a special kind of person to be called the most important imposter in all of Mm. occult history, but also the person who reinterpreted spiritualism to the point that she inspired the West to look to ancient traditions for spiritual guidance. I'm already in awe of this person. Quite a logline for one person. (laughs) It is. It is. This is going to be a very adventurous episode about Madame Blavatsky, and you can call her a fraud, but what you can't say is she wasn't impactful, and this is a wild story. Okay, I am buckling up, and I am ready for an adventure, so take it away. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm M. Schultz. And I'm Christine Schiefer. Every week, we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. We're talking about Helena Blavatsky today, and she is a wild card. She's a troublemaker. She's an influence on the occult. She is a Leo. We've <gasps> got a lot to cover. So, oh boy. Let's crack into it. Oh, boy. She sounds. Like a handful, let's do it. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. All right, Christine, I got to ask, what have been some of the most impactful stories that we've told on this show so far? Oh, man. I mean, that's a very broad question. I'm trying to think. I feel like the podcast team was like, we need to know. What's your favorite? Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of pressure. If they want a pat on the back, we will give them a pat on the back. because All of them. Is that an okay <laughs> answer? <laughs> You know what? We just covered Isaac Newton. I got to say that one really knocked the wind out of me. That one was pretty good. That one was good. I like the stories of people who who come from unassuming beginnings mm. and then make big names for themselves. I'm kind of getting the vibe this might be one of those. Is that true? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, I also want to say just because I like to make it about me. So excuse me for a second. But 
my favorite topics are the concept of like Wicca and grimoires and crystal balls and all the Ooh. all the stuff that jazzes me to keep me going on my hobbies and my studies. Yeah, tarot, elements that make up the greater whole of all of these spooky subjects. But to get back to what you said about people with unassuming backstories, I gotta say, even though the Wicca and witchcraft in general topics gets me going the most, stories about people, I don't know anything about the people. Like, I feel like I get to learn with everybody. I feel like with Wicca Mm -hmm. or witchcraft stuff in general, I already kind of have a sense of where we're heading. I'm always blown away with at least a few fun facts in there, but I at least kind of know going in. But stories like this, I learned for the first time last night when I was going through the notes. So I really do like those too because they're topics I would never think to cover. So, Oh man, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. You've piqued my interest. I'm very excited to talk about this one today. So how much do you know about Madame Blavatsky's story? Do you know anything about her? I've definitely heard about her and I know she's kind of a notorious figure, so to speak, but I, I don't know really much of her background at all. That's okay. So her life story is actually all over the place. So I think even if you knew something about her, it would be a drop in the bucket. Okay, great. So this isn't the first time we've said this on Rituals About Someone, but information on Madame Blavatsky's life is a little scarce and scattered because sometimes it was during a time when we didn't really keep good tabs on people. But in this case for Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, it's also because she decided later in life to literally mess with biographers (gasps) by being contradictory about things and (laughs) flat out making things up about her past. So she is already a troublemaker in my book. Whoa. So she's bold. She's like, I know what I'm doing. She was like, I don't even want people to know the truth. So I think she would love that now all this time later in 2022, we're still confused. She'd be (laughs) like, I did that really well. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. So what we do know is that before she got married and had the last name Blavatsky, she was Helena Petrovna von Hahn. And she was born to a noble family in what is now Ukraine, which was then part of the Russian Empire. And her father was a captain in the Russian Royal Horse Artillery, who became a colonel. So Helena and her family bounced around the Russian Empire, and she was a bit of an army brat, I guess. I see. Her birthday was August 12th, 1831. She's a Leo. Uh Uh-huh. And in the old Julian calendar, or the Roman calendar that Julius Caesar tried to make a thing. Her August 12th birthday was technically July 30th, which still makes her a Leo. So So she's a Leo through and through. Through and through. And it was believed that if you were born during that time, you'd be born with the ability to control evil spirits. So now I'm scared of all Leos. Me too. I didn't know they had that in them. Explains a lot about my mother, though. Oh, good to know. I only know one Leo. No, I know a few Leos. But they all intimidate me, but in very good ways. I didn't know that it was because they could control evil spirits. It does make sense, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, it really does. Mm -hmm. After her mother died of tuberculosis in 1842, Helena went to live with her grandparents. And this is where the story gets occulty. So we jump in kind of right away. Okay. Under her grandparents' house, this sounds like your childhood home, so... Uh, what's under the house i'm I'm so (laughs) nervous i'm so nervous for reference if you don't know anything about where christine grew up she literally grew up on a graveyard which is how i immediately knew we needed to be friends like a gargoyle if you will so so similar to you helen lived with her grandparents and under her grandparents house there were tunnels and abandoned passages that (gasps) helen would explore that now that think of the sleepovers that's the dream that's the dream i would 
Oh, I would kill to be able to explore some underground passageways. I bet if she heard you grow up in a graveyard, she'd be like, now that is where it's meant to be. We could do the joint sleepover. We'd have so much fun, Helena. <laughs> All I had at my grandparents was like shuffleboard. But like, <laughs> I love shuffleboard. Okay, this is going to be the perfect, perfect triad of slumber parties. <laughs> oh, that's sad. I'm like the extra. I'm like, okay, you guys provide the the real entertainment. I'll carry on the shuffleboard for plan C when we get bored later. I bet your house has the good snacks, though. I had the best snacks because Mine that was didn't. all I had to offer. I didn't have a graveyard. We had like granola and raisins. So I feel like your house would have been the good snack house. Oof. Yeah, you're not allowed to bring snacks. That's for sure. <laughs> I wasn't planning on it. Okay. So it was in these tunnels where she started talking to imaginary friends and started telling scary stories to her real friends. So okay, this does it's immediately sounding like my childhood. Yes. Okay, good because what I was going to say is I'm fearing for a little mental illness here, but maybe oh I see, <laughs> maybe, I see, but maybe not. Maybe she's just very influenced by the ghosts. You know, I mean, listen, imaginary friends. I think a lot of kids had them. Did you have one? I think I did. And then I, it got pulled out of me really quickly. I think my mom was like, we won't be standing for that. <laughs> so <laughs> you are an only child through and through. And don't you forget. I, it. <laughs> I think to her, maybe it was like, I, it was making her feel guilty that she didn't give me a sibling. She was like, uh-uh, nope. You're just drop it, drop it. Embrace oh. what's happening to you. I didn't have an imaginary friend, but you're right that a lot of children do have imaginary friends, which by the way, not all imaginary friends are ghosts and not all ghosts are imaginary friends, but I feel like in, in her case, if they're in creepy tunnels like this, I kind of wonder, were they real it does make imaginary you friends or were they spirits? It's like, why do they live in the tunnels? That part is not super great. Like my imaginary friend like went to school with me, sat at the dinner table with me. She didn't live in a creepy tunnel underground. And if she did, I think my parents should have been a little more concerned. Oh, yeah, I don't love it. I don't love it. Uh-uh. The fact that they live in the tunnels. And also if she's just like, if it really is something that she's seeing and says like, oh, come hang out outside of the tunnels with me. Now she's welcoming them into the house and it becomes a thing. Forget it. Becomes it. a real thing. Okay. Well, anyway, she also seemed to have some magical abilities to her on <laughs> top of talking to these imaginary people. She would put pigeons to sleep using Solomon's wisdom, a.k.a. <laughs> King Solomon, who claimed to be so wise and powerful. Can, can what? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, kill them? She would put pigeons to sleep using Solomon's wisdom, or his teachings in the Bible, which sounds like maybe the pigeons were just exhausted from listening to her talk about like King Solomon. Yeah. She was just reading the Bible and they fell asleep. I don't know, but that sounds very alarming. Like, to be able to put birds to sleep, and it sounds... More ominous than it probably was, but like, ooh. You know what the weird thing is? It'd be one thing if it was like you put your dog to sleep by talking to it. It's like I've seen your dog fall asleep, me just walking into the room. Like, could not be <laughs> less enthused. It doesn't take much. But it is weird that it's pigeons because I don't think I've ever seen a sleeping bird or a sleeping pigeon mm. at least. I've never seen a pigeon asleep. And the fact that she was putting many of them to sleep is very <laughs> weird. <laughs> right? It's a very creepy thought. I, have you ever seen a pigeon with its eyes closed? Not me. I guess not. I mean, maybe like I've seen birds like in nests sleeping. Uh, was she just like going down the street and whatever bird she found, she was like prophesizing to them or something? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, take like, me what? out. 
just genuinely, I genuinely wish I could have a little insight into what the hell she was telling these pigeons, but I guess we'll never really know. For anyone who takes melatonin, maybe she just needed to tell you about Solomon's wisdom and out of it enough. I was going to say, maybe I'll just listen to this episode and see if it does the trick. So anyway, she also talked about a protector that appeared in her dreams. Oh, no. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, no. This is what some would consider the very first appearance to her of her masters. Okay, okay. And her masters being more like spirit guides, essentially. Sure. So while living with her grandparents, she also claimed to have found her great-grandfather's library, which we don't (gasps) get totally more about. I wonder why it was found. Was it missing? Was it in a tunnel? Oh, Let's pretend yes. Because how cool would that be? That makes it feel more adventurous. So I'm going to say Who needs a secret garden? I want a secret library in a tunnel. With imaginary friends blocking it. Yeah. Ew. So her great-grandfather had allegedly been a Rosicrucian Freemason around Mm. the time of the 1770s, when secret societies were big around that time. And he was also, according to Helena, a member of the Rite of Strict Observance. And in this group, you took a vow to obey unknown superiors that seems like a really bold ask also a real dangerous game of like if you don't know who these superiors are like how do you know that you're listening to them how do you know that they're right how do you know that they're good how do you know that you're not gonna harm somebody or yourself you just don't i guess that seems like a really it's a real gamble why it's not king solomon would never <laughs> the pigeons would never So needless to say, but we will because we can't keep our mouths shut ever. (laughs) The library was full of books on alchemy, magic and occult sciences. The dream. So I'm so jealous of Helena. I'm so jealous of apparently everybody with an alchemist library in the secret society. Just so cool. I wish I'm not like jealous of her. I just I wish she could have been a friend of mine. Like we could have like an imaginary friend. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Soon Leona's going to start saying, my friend Helena lives in the basement. It's going to be like, I go to grandmama's and everyone in the graveyard is so friendly. And you're going to go, oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> so there's that. She ended up finding his magical library, which was so bananas. Super casual. And then we have to really quickly pivot into new information. So when she was 17, she married 40-something Nikifor Blavatsky. And this baffled a lot of people, me included. Including me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Red flags all around. And so people really couldn't understand why these two got together. So a bunch of rumors were born, and that included one that said she was escaping her strict life with her grandparents. Mm. So if that's the case, at least there's a reason, but we really don't know the truth. But Helena said that she married him because he supported her magical beliefs instead of laughing at them like others said. Okay. Which I guess both could be true. Also, if that's the only reason, I'm sure there was another guy near you that wouldn't laugh like this guy couldn't have been the only one right maybe he just played his cards right you know he was a smooth talker i guess so but also remember she was a little troublemaker and she told people just random information so i don't even know if this is true exactly it's like at at a certain point how much of this is even real (laughs) so either way she married him and took his name and today you'll hear most people call her hp blavatsky or hpb which sounds a lot like hpv I don't don't know if she would (laughs) have survived high school today. I was about to say, wow, what a cool nickname, HPB. And then you said it and I can't unhear it. Yeah. As a teenager, the nickname really, I mean, would have been rough. What a reputation. Yeah. So sadly, her Mary name outlasted the marriage. Mm -hmm. She was only with her new husband for three months. Oh. Before he tried to send her back 
to her dad <gasps> because she was apparently difficult to deal with. Oh, okay. I knew he was a red flag from the beginning. Yeah, big yikes. Big humongous yikes. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Well, so then her life takes a mysterious yet possibly adventurous turn because instead of making it back to her family and living there, she instead somehow ends it up on a boat to Constantinople, which is modern day Istanbul. Istanbul, Constantinople. Now, I just need, I know everyone has that stuck in their head now. (laughs) What I was going to say is I feel like you could tell me you somehow ended up on a boat to Constantinople. (laughs) And honestly, I'd believe it. I really wish people outside of the podcast knew how freaky your life is it's, because <laughs> you do throw real zingers like that at me in real life and it's all real like i've watched you call your mom for confirmation on things because yeah, well, they're so unbelievable you know i've never been on in a boat to constantinople nor istanbul but like i mean one time i was trying to drive to school and i ended up in western indiana which is like a four-hour drive away <laughs> to school I, you didn't realize yeah. five minutes in that something was up <laughs> I thought I was going the correct direction on the highway. At hour three and a half, were you like, I've just never noticed how long the drive takes. I was just crying because I didn't know what to do. It was... <laughs> oh, no. Well, and so anyway, I missed choir practice, but you missed the whole day, Christine. I mean, there's no way you <laughs> got choir. Practices. You had to turn four hours in the other direction, too. There's the you did not miss, you did not get to school that day. <laughs> the problem was I kept. I kept calling my mom and saying, I need to figure out how to get home. And she kept saying, you need to stop at a gas station and ask somebody. But I'm too antisocial for that. I was like, I won't do that. So I just kept driving. It was mental illness at its finest, everybody. (laughs) It wasn't wise. But I can see how if somebody said, "Okay, now go back home from this place far away, I would have maybe ended up on a boat in the wrong direction. Perhaps to Constantinople. If you were had access to a boat and not a car, the exact same thing would have happened. And oh, it would have probably worse. What's four hours in the sea? You would have definitely gotten out of the country. Bermuda Triangle, I think. <laughs> I'd probably just get vanished up by Nessie or something. Well, okay, so now, again, this sounds like something that could happen to you and apparently did happen to Helena because once she ended up on that boat, somehow, she was also not heard of for years. So- <gasps> How scary. She was probably still on her way to school or something. She just kept driving (laughs) for years. She was afraid to ask for directions. (laughs) So apparently the only person who knew where she was for all those years was her father because he allegedly sent her money a a few Mm. times. So at least we know that she might have had a contact. That's that's good. And I mentioned this earlier about HPV. Yikes. But she (laughs) liked to tell stories about her life that were either straight up lies or exaggerated in some way. So take this part with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But during this time period, between 1849, when she escaped on the boat, until 1873, she apparently did a lot of traveling. Okay. And here's just some of the supposed events that happened on these trips. Interesting. I feel like you want your biography one day after death to read like this. Yeah, but I don't want people to think I made it up. You know what I mean? I promise I will be around to let them know it was <laughs> all true. Okay, thank you. <laughs> They're going to read... This bitch drove four hours to Indiana <laughs> on the way to school. No, she didn't. And I'll have She's to be like, stupid enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, she was dumb enough and antisocial enough to actually it's do it. It's giving Amelia Bedelia, you know? <laughs> it really is. That's a great fit. That's a great fit. Yeah. Okay. So here are some of the things that Helena apparently did on these trips when she was not heard from for a long time. She may have visited spiritual masters in Tibet. 
She may have given birth to a child, which I <gasps> weird to me that she refuses to confirm that one. Yeah, she's like, you'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> While your child's like, where are you? <laughs> one story says that she worked in a circus. Ooh. Or maybe she earned a living as a medium in Paris. Hmm. Also probably D all the above. But most stories about her travels agree that she went to Egypt where she met the magician Paulos Metamon. Whoa. And okay. And HPB herself reports that on her travels, she fought alongside an Italian revolutionary. She sought out Native American magicians in Quebec and studied with mystics in Tibet. She would kill at two truths and a lie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But she would say they're all true. So it would be like, uh, which one's the lie? And she'd be like, none of them. Wahaha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the master of this game. I think you and I should write this list down. And the next time we play two truths and a lie, we could just pull one of these out. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going to say we should write these on a list and it's our new vision board. And I was like, or that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll do it. So HPV said that while in Tibet, she communicated with two teachers or masters telepathically and that they helped her develop and control her psychic powers. Oh, my. She claimed that these masters had the abilities of, this is a quote, thought transference, a.k.a. telepathy, mind reading, projecting their astral bodies, and seeming to appear to be in two or more places at once. Whoa. And they also apparently make objects appear and disappear, and they were clairvoyant and could see auras. It sounds like there's nothing these people can't do. Uh, seriously, they got the full the full resume. Yeah, and she also considered them guardians of the secret doctrine itself. And the secret doctrine mm. is her own most famous written work containing all of her knowledge. Oh, wow. So they were like the masters who had bestowed all this knowledge to her, sort of. I guess so. Or also, like, whatever she wrote down or, or experienced, they got to know all of her secrets. So maybe it was... Oh, like, so they were just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I so badly want to believe all the things she's saying. They sound so fantastical. But not a single word of it am I fully on board with just yet. Right. Similar to us. Her critics said none of this probably happened. Oh. Which I don't blame them for having doubts. In fact, she didn't go on this worldwide spiritual journey collecting the secrets of the universe at all, they say. Okay. They say that she was probably just globetrotting through her 20s, living an immoral life. Honestly, you could spin that and say it's a spiritual journey. Eat, pray, love anybody? That's I a mean, great point. I mean, what are you talking about? Immoral life. How dare you? And even if she was, I'm not going to call it an immoral life, but if she was having her hot girl summer, what a bad liar, though. Like, she was trying to avoid saying she was like... In her hot girl summer and flirting around, flirting around. And so instead she said, oh, I'm hanging out with guardians who can teleport. Like, uh, it's like you could have come up with a different story if you really were trying to hide it. It's like <laughs> when somebody comes back from summer break in middle school and they're like, I did X, Y and Z. And everyone's like, yeah, you're lying. Exactly. Like if Madame Blavatsky showed back up with like a puka shell necklace and be like, I know exactly where you are. <laughs> Don't even in sunning in her hair. I'm like, okay, it's like girl. Tibet. No, you went to the Bahamas. <laughs> you went to the Outer Banks. Relax with your grandma. Calm down. It doesn't matter what they think because all of these alleged travels. At the end, she landed back in New York and became a huge name in the occult world. So, in a way, she did have her hot girl summer. It was just not the one that they were probably thinking of. Uh, I'm impressed way. She was globe trotting. She was living her life. Whatever. Whatever she did, I don't know the truth. But whatever she did, we know it wasn't boring. We know that. <laughs> That's amen. Amen. 
Up next, HPB pops back up in the United States and creates the secret society that helped her become a spiritual superstar and an accused imposter. I can't wait to sign up for this society. <laughs> eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. At this point in our story, around 1848 or 1849, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, or HPB, went on the run after her three-month marriage had fallen apart, allegedly due to her being difficult. Mm. Again, this could be speculation. Maybe that was her plan all along to get away from her Mm. parents, to marry, and then to flee. I mean, we don't know. Whatever the reason, she didn't end up back with her family. And instead, there is a huge amount of time where she was apparently traveling the world, immersing herself in spiritualism. I mean, it's a pretty cool story. It's cool. And also, like, maybe she wasn't. Maybe she was just on a beach reading books like we thought. And that's still involving yourself in spiritualism. So she was just doing it in her own way. And then July 7th, 1873, records show her popping back up in New York. Okay. At this point, she's 42 years old and claiming that she was on a mission from the master. Uh Uh-oh. It freaks me out a little bit. But remember, we mentioned that she started talking to these masters in those tunnels under her grandparents' house, and then again in Tibet. So it makes sense why they would kind of become a recurring theme. Yes, that they're still around. Mm -hmm. So she's claimed that she's now on a mission for them, which that sounds eerie to me. It does. (laughs) Like, it could be good. It could very well not be good. So HPB pops back up in New York, apparently on this mission, and immediately gets involved in the seance business because that business was on fire during the 19th century. Right. Spiritualism. Business was booming. So Uh people were all about mediums at the time and everyone was ready to talk to their lost loved ones. So just one year later in 1874, HPB had her breakout year and it started girl -hmm, girl boss. (laughs) And it, I know it's so like lame to say that now, but pretty girl boss. (laughs) It's not not true. It's not not true. It started when journalist Henry Olcott was in Vermont to investigate a story about spirits and wrote about it in the Sunday Chronicle. HPB read his work and went to Vermont to check out the spirits for herself. I like how she was like, I got to be in on this. Step aside. (laughs) And apparently the spirits got real active when she got there. And Henry had himself another story and this time about HPB. Okay. This profile piece ran in the Chronicle and HPB immediately became a celebrity in the spiritualism moment. In the moment. (laughs) The spiritualism movement. (laughs) She had her moment. She is the the moment. moment. Excuse me. She is the moment. So even though she's popular because of certain events, she really hadn't expressed her own brand of occultism. So 
A year later, in 1875, she wrote an article in response to a piece on Rosicrucianism. And after that, Mm. she wrote a second article defending her understanding of magic. She wrote that magic worked in tandem with natural powers that scientists did not yet acknowledge, which I like that. Okay, yeah, that's a cool theory. Meaning magic is but a science, a profound knowledge of the occult forces in nature and of the laws governing the visible or invisible world. I really like that. I I, do too. I think that sometimes too, where, you know, we don't know everything and we can't pretend we know everything. And so, you know, there are some things that a couple hundred years ago would have seemed supernatural, Mm -hmm. but now we understand them to be just microscopic or things like that. So it makes you wonder, like, what else have we not discovered yet? Ironically, my very atheist girlfriend likes to say that magic is just science we have yet to understand. And now we've got a spiritualist saying basically the same thing. See, Al? I don't know. It definitely was a very lovely way to put it. So So September 1875, this is when HPV's occult legacy was cemented in the books, but also the reason that she gets called an imposter. So Uh a man named George Felt gave a talk in New York, and George claimed that he had studied the Egyptians and how they controlled the spirits of the elements. And so he knew how to do that, too. Okay. I know. So (laughs) So while he talked, Henry Olcott apparently passed HPV a note saying, would it not be a good idea to form a society for this kind of study? And that's... I li- <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. Finish your thought. I was going to say, and that's how the Theosophical Society was born. I just like that he passed a note I that know. said, would it not be a good idea to form a society for this kind? Dareth, I quest... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dearest confidant. It's like, uh, how long did you take to write this damn note? What are you, Shakespeare or something? It really should have been like just two check boxes and said, are you in or are you out? Yeah. <laughs> but he really took the opportunity. Maybe he knew that something really good was going to come from it. And he was like, I got to make sure this looks really good. So one day when we frame it as a memory. When we frame it. Yeah. When it's in a museum. Yep. <laughs> While this guy was talking about the Egyptians and how they control the spirits, Henry Olcott writes this very delightful little note that should be on a mantle somewhere. <laughs> and that's the beginning of the Theosophical Society. So once they created it, HPV finally had an organization where she could nurture and promote her own brand of occultism, which is what she'd been looking for. So exactly. Let's talk about the Theosophical Society's beliefs and goals. So the society was to be a brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste or color. And oh, I know. Very progressive. And Good start. They would study ancient and modern religions, philosophies, and sciences and investigate the unexplained laws of nature and the psychical powers not yet discovered in humans. Whoa. HPV personally wanted the group to find a higher class of supernatural beings she had allegedly met in Tibet called the Mahatmas. And when it Mm. comes to being called an imposter, some of the pieces of her brand of occultism that she touted in the Theosophical Society weren't her original beliefs. Okay. But some of them came from her friends and co-founders, George Felton, Henry Olcott. So maybe she was just combining founding members' beliefs. Yeah. So we don't really know. She could have just been I wouldn't, taking it from, I don't know. I feel like it's easy to kind of, if you're friends and you want to start a group together, I imagine you had similar beliefs enough, right? Yeah. I feel like it's only fair to let them throw in some ideas too. But yeah. I mean, it seems like her critics are not having it with anything she's doing. So I wonder if it's just that she, if she's seen as an imposter in many other ways, like even the things that are kind of baseline, they're like, I don't know about that. I feel like anything could be. Yeah. 
she really lost her uh, her trustworthiness. So that's fair. I, I understand why. So in New York, Madame Blavatsky wrote her first book called Isis Unveiled. Mm. And when I say write, I mean she dictated it because HPV claimed that her masters basically researched and wrote the book for her. Oh. So she just kind of astral wrote or whatever. I see. What's it called? Why, why am I misblinking? Astral writing? Not astral writing. Automatic writing. Automatic writing. But yeah, so apparently it was written by the master. So really the source of information she got everything from was trust me, bro. <laughs> Those so she's pretty much it. <laughs> so she's just like the channel, so to speak. She's the channel. Okay. So Henry Olcott said that he witnessed her taking dictation and even her handwriting would change while doing it. Almost to whoa. Almost to try to let everybody know, like, hey, no, this doesn't seem like it's her. It could be the real master. You know, I love that the masters who are so ascended and don't even have their own physical bodies have specific handwriting. That is interesting. <laughs> that is. Right? It's like, huh, I wonder if it's good or bad or cursive or do they circle their eyes or Maybe they put what? little hearts on them. I, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Like, wow. I was a smiley face over the eye kind of person. So. Oh my God, you would be. That was a lot. It took a while to break that habit because I enjoyed Ooh. it so much, but it also t- took a lot of time. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. So anyway, Henry Olcott was kind of backing her and being like, no, 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 this seems legit. And apparently she wrote 25 pages a day like that. And so the book ended up being 1,200 pages. (gasps) That's a lot of writing. And the book was a success, but the Theosophical Society in the United States was not. People like the idea of spiritualist phenomena, but not the philosophy behind it at all. They... Pretty much just wanted to see magic happen, which... That sounds pretty American to me. I was going to say, I'm American through and through here. (laughs) Yeah, that fits. (laughs) An eagle might as well fly behind me right now because I would join it just to see the magic too. But Madame Blavatsky refused to show off her abilities in public, even though she was more than happy to do it in private. So here's Hmm. a red flag for you that, oh, well, you know, I would show it to you, but it's better in private. And then... We never really hear anything more about the the private showings mm-hmm. except for people who are backing her. Mm-hmm. Then Olcott, Henry Olcott, has his first visit from one of the masters. So now he's involved in this. He's like, finally. Yeah. My turn. He said that the master told him that a great work was to be done for humanity and I had a right to share in it if I wished. I feel like he's getting his invite like he's like if you wish to be part of this you may now be part of it like he's finally gotten his invitation to sit at the big kids table i think yeah i especially if you're finally getting a visit from the masters i feel like the only thing you can think is oh i'm in i'm in i'm in i'm in i made it i'm so proud of him well the master also is said to have left his turban as proof that he exists whoa that whoa mm-hmm Okay. And that experience made Olcott say yes to going to India with HPB, where she decided to take the Theosophical Society after it was flopping in the U.S. So it really, (sighs) to me, it sounds like Henry Olcott's visit from the Masters. It does sound like he just came up with it because he had to double down and like back Helena and the Theosophical Society wasn't doing hot. So all of a sudden he was like, no, but wait, I'm also now all of a sudden getting my first visit from the Masters. (laughs) And then they all were like, oh, well, this this is now proof we have to go to India. It's like, okay, well, it sounds like you were just looking for an out to continue the society somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he had his very first visit very conveniently and very coincidentally when the U.S. was ready for them to go somewhere else with their society. So I don't know. It could be. 
Could be. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not a master. I'm no HPB. You know? <laughs> no, there's only one. There's, there can only be one for sure. So HPB moved the society and its followers to Bombay in 1879, and it thrived there. It actually did so well that it influenced the revival of ancient traditions, including Buddhism. Whoa. And unfortunately, HPB had a bit of a temper, and she <gasps> took it out on her friends and followers. Oh, no. And in September 1884, to retaliate against her angry behavior, secret letters written by HPB were leaked to a Christian college magazine, nonetheless. Uh-oh. Apparently, in these letters, HPB told certain members of the society how to fake certain miracles. Oh. Yeah. So. That hurts. That's I'm sorry. Not a cute Helena. look, girl. Not a cute it's not look. not a good look. It's not a good look. So by 1885, Madame Blavatsky's reputation was garbaggio. <laughs> to put it in the most <laughs> esteemed professional verbiage. Usually in the vernacular of M. Schultz, it's either garbaggio or trashola. And I don't know which one you wanted. So. <laughs> I think both fit the bill in this case. Those are just about the only words I use these days. Even in my own home, I'm like, oh, man, I got to throw this in the garbaggio. I'm like, oh, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with you? That's... I'm just so desperate to make things more fantastical than they are. It's <sighs> just a little flair. It's just a spritz of it. So after an investigation of her from the Society for Psychical Research, or the SPR, in Cambridge, mm. they declared her a fraud. Oh. And Madame Blavatsky wanted to sue them, but Henry Olcott reminded her that she'd have to perform a cult phenomena to produce the masters in public, something she said she would never do. I like how the guy that's been like doubling down and backing <laughs> her the whole time is like, don't sue because we'd have to Awkward. prove them that we're wrong and, and really they're right. you really don't want to do that, remember? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you actually think that this is all legit but like let me remind you real quick we shouldn't sue them that's too bad i mean we could see this coming mm -hmm. when she wrote a letter how to fake a miracle mm -hmm. like of course she's going to be declared a fraud you know i mean yeah so hpv resigned from the theosophical society and went back to europe she ended up dying on may 8th 1891 from the flu or influenza mm -hmm. which is to me, flu to influenza is garbage to garbaggio. So, you know. <laughs> Great. It's a just flu with a flare. <laughs> but she died, but not before dropping her most notable work. Coming up, before her death, HPB went out with a bang, as we all hope to, I suppose. Yeah. Not to be kept down by accusations of fraud, she left behind what she considered the go-to volume of work for all students of theosophy. You gotta love someone who is intentionally creating a legacy before they die, you know? It's all I hope to do. It's yeah. truly all like, I remember want. Remember me by this. <laughs> and then in like a flash of smoke. That was gonna say, something dramatic happens at that moment, I imagine. Oh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. A few years before her death, Madame Helena published her book, The Secret Doctrine, in 1888. It's a six-volume work that serves as the basic text for theosophists, which being called a fraud did not stop her, which I love that. She's like, it didn't stop me. In fact, it led me to write what I imagine is like thousands of pages. So literally six volumes. Yeah. Doubling down that I'm not a fraud. So in The Secret Doctrine, she wrote about seven root races of humanity. What? So I got to tell you, I don't know where she got her information because I would like to see some evidence, some facts. I'd like some cold, hard facts. A bibliography, maybe? Like at least half a page of sources, maybe. Maybe a footnote. MLA, if you need to, like whatever it takes. Put it in one of those websites that do it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here are the seven roots of humanity, which I am fortunate enough to get to talk about right now. Okay. The first one, the first race was invisible astral jellyfish. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm s- hang uh hold on. Immediately I am confused. Immediately I am thrilled. There's also no evidence they're invisible. What what science were you Okay. Anyway, I guess you were just talking to the masters and they told you what's going on. You don't need science. Right, 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 right. The second race, bodiless beings that lived near the North Pole. So, the spirit of Santa's elves. I was going to say what is that? The Christmas spirit? <laughs> The third race are egg-laying lemurs who had eyes in the back of their head. But once they discovered sex, that was their downfall. Many people's (laughs) downfall. And their continent was destroyed. And what's left of it is what we now call Easter Island in Australia. So the Australians have horny lemurs to thank for everything. Oh, my God. So Easter Island was nothing but just, yeah, a horny lemur colony. Just wreckage from lemur sex. Yeah. Carnage. I genuinely don't think you've ever said any weirder sentences on any <laughs> podcast we've ever done. Like, this is so bananagrams because Thank we're, you. from what I can tell in the timeline of my recording, we're getting near the end. And <laughs> to throw in something so off the wall right now really just no took context. me by surprise. No, co- just totally took me by surprise. Even Parcast research team was like, they don't need to know more than this. And I agree. We're just going to drop this grenade in the last page of the notes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Invisible jellyfish, bodiless Santa elves, egg-laying lemurs who just love to get it on. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you What's, ne- What's next? The fourth race, this is like somehow the tamest of them all, is the people from Atlantis. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that... Sure. I mean, that's proof in the pudding right there. I feel that's like... That's probably the farthest I could get involved in this whole list. I think Helena wanted to start with people from Atlantis and then thought, that's not realistic enough. What if I throw a bunch of A-bombs at them, like real curveballs? <laughs> <laughs> and Atlantis will have to make sense compared to that. You got to hook them hook early. Yeah. <laughs> Invisible jellyfish did hook me. And then it just kept getting more bizarre. Unbelievable. The fifth race. Okay. This one's like definitely the tamest is us human beings. 
Oh, the well. scariest of them all, certainly. But yeah, I was gonna say the scariest and unfortunately the most real and uh, also full of downfalls. So especially involving sex. I mean, let's talk yeah. about the patriarchy and toxic masculinity forever and ever. Let's not though. Well, we'll do it off mic for sure. And then the sixth and seventh, just to leave a little mystere at the end of all this, haven't arrived yet. The sixth Uh-oh. and seventh races. But they are the guardians for an infant humanity that lives in outer space, specifically on Venus. So space babies. (sighs) Space babies are next. The apocalypse happens in 2060, according to Isaac Newton, and then space babies. Oh, okay. So see, here's the thing. I could get on board with the space baby idea. You know, I love an extraterrestrial theory. But we do have to come to terms with the fact that that means we are gonzo. We don't even get to see what they look like. Yeah, like that's the fun of it. I want to be involved, but I guess if we're all extinct before that happens... Well, don't say it too loud. They might be preparing the space babies and you might get abducted. Bro, no thanks. I want to be involved. Okay, well, let's beam me up. (laughs) No thanks. Not that involved. I want to (laughs) be peripherally involved. Like, I would like to watch it on TikTok and stuff, but I don't... You want to fly on the wallet. Yeah. I want to fly on the wallet. Well... Again, it seems that the source of all this is trust me, bro. That's pretty much how it feels. I can't imagine any of these having (laughs) any frame of reference that I could run with. So, yeah, it's not really the most convincing of things she's told told me. Well, so the secret doctrine is still popular with students of theosophy today. I think it's popular probably with anyone who has an hour to kill and like just wants to just have their brain explode. It's not popular as the definitive word on the subject, but as something that encourages free thinking, which that I can't get behind. Very effective, I would imagine, because as soon as you started talking about egg laying lemurs with eyes on the back of their head, I started thinking anything's possible. Wow, what, el- <laughs> what else could we come up with? You know? Yeah, truly. I would read that and be like, you know what? If this person got famous for saying something like that, there's nothing that unhinged I could say. Imagine the possibility. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> So the Theosophical Society is still active, and it's in more than 70 countries, and the headquarters are still in India. So while Madame Blavatsky was called a fraud, her influence really lives on in various religions and philosophies, and it's been argued that she was instrumental in encouraging the West to turn towards India for spiritual enlightenment. Wow. She's also credited with proving that gender isn't important in spiritual leadership because women are just as equal to men in this area. Hey. Also a feminist. That's a big legacy, too. I like it all. So you were right. We were coming up on the hour, and that was just about it. Wow. (laughs) What a roller coaster that was. I feel bad for the people who had to research this. You had to have taken a couple Tylenol. (laughs) Guess what? I don't, because, wow, what a journey that must have been. What is your final takeaway of Madame Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. I know I said at the beginning, but like from humble beginnings of <laughs> playing with your imaginary friends in the tunnels to developing a race of egg-laying lemurs. I mean, she really... She did it all. Yeah, she put the cherry on top, so to speak, as far as people who made a name for themselves in a really weird way. She said, I've got one life and either I'm going to do it all or I'm at least going to say it all. <laughs> so- Amen. Yeah, I like that her work encourages free thinking. I do think that she had some very bananagrams, unhinged things to say. Yeah. But I'm here for it anyway. I think at least as a, she would be very interesting to learn about in a book club. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely intriguing. And we we love some intrigue. So Love and intrigue. Yeah, she found her right audience, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, that is Miss Helena. I'm glad to have shared her with you and... Again, if she knew then 2022, we're all still trying to dissect what the hell her life was about. I think she'd be really flattered. I like to think she went out in the exact way she wanted to leave us all guessing. 
been for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening. Information on today's episode came from Madame Blavatsky, The Mother of Modern Spirituality by Gary Latchman, Atlas Obscura, The Buddhist Review, The West Turns Eastward, Madame Blavatsky and the Transformation of the Occult Tradition by Mark Bevere, Outside the Mainstream, Women's Religion and Women Religious Leaders in 19th Century America by Mary Farrell Bednarowski, Spiritualism, Science, and the Mysterious Madame Blavatsky by Matthew Wills, The Theosophical Society in America, The Penn Museum, History Today, and CBC Radio Canada. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify, and you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at The M. Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schieffer. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by Chelsea Wood. Backchecking by Haley Milliken. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schiefer and M. Schultz. Mm-hmm.